This is an audio presentation of God First Church, Cheltenham, England. A community of Jesus followers, worshipping God first, proclaiming God first, and together living God first lives. For more information, visit our website at godfirst.org.uk. Okay, so this is not the uh, this is not the kind of l- the last before the really exciting thing, but it is the coming last of the summer. We're in that transition period. Uh, it's my privilege to speak this morning on the lost sheep and the good shepherd uh, discipling in community. But before I say that, I just want to just make you feel sorry for me, uh, and uh, I'm I'm not doing well with cars at the moment. So my I, I don't I think every car I've ever had. Uh, has been written off. I've never actually managed to sell a car to anybody else. Now that might be because I'm a poor pastor and I always end up at the end of the line, but I just saw us, uh, we, our car was written off four days before holidays, so we had to hire a car, take us to the airport, and obviously we'd hire a car when we were there, and I've come, so if you'd see me driving in round in a Renault Capture 19, it's not my car, I'm renting it. I'm looking to buy another one, uh, and so uh, I'll be careful to buy one that's appropriate in size and badge status for a church pastor. But I've not done well with cars. You may have heard me tell, this, tell me this story before. I think me and Naomi had just started dating. We, we had a, a Vauxhall Corsa. Uh, you know, I was a teacher then. I could afford something with a bit of poke. Uh, and so Vauxhall Corsa, we're heading along the M4 uh, to, uh, to Bath, where Naomi was a student and I'd been as a student, and, and an engine warning light came on on the dashboard. Now, here's a dilemma. You, you, you're, you're about eight or nine miles from the junction, uh, you're on a poor teacher's salary, and um, you, you, you're not far from Bath, and the engine warning light comes on, what do you do? You keep going, don't you? you just... Where's the engine warning light? There it is. You keep going. And, and I think sometimes we just keep going. And, and, and what happened is I drove down the hill into Bath and my engine sounded like I'd put a box of metal inside a tumble dryer. The smoke coming out of the back. I pulled into this garage. I'd been a student at Bath. I pulled into this garage and the guy said, did you not see the end of war- did you see the warning light? And I said, yeah, I did see the warning light, but you just think, well, it's just going to be fine. I'm just going to leave it for a few miles. He said, if you'd... Uh, if you'd have stopped when the engine warning light came on, it would have cost you £150. Now your car is a write-off. And it's funny, I reflected on that at the time, and I reflected on it since, that so often as Christians, we wait until smoke is pouring out of the back of our spiritual exhaust before we act to any warning lights in relationships any warning lights in our own lives, in our patterns of behavior, and we know what they are. You know, we're good at, we're good at seeing other people's warning lights, not so good at seeing ours. But the, the reality is that, that Jesus tells the story of the lost sheep to avoid us being somebody who's going to experience a spiritual write-off. So that's where we're going to go this morning. It describes the shepherd's heart of the father who retrieves lost sheep, not any, wanting any of them to be written off. So in Matthew 18, the first bit is like, oh, lovely sheep. And the second bit is, oh, Jesus, that's a bit challenging. So let's read and go to work. So Matthew 18, verse 12, what do you think? 
If a man owns a hundred sheep and one of them goes astray, will he not leave the ninety-nine on the hills and go look for the one that went astray? And if he finds it, truly I tell you, he rejoices more about that one sheep than the ninety-nine that did not wander off. In the same way, your father is not willing for any of these little ones to perish. And we could stop there. You think, oh, that's a nice story, the lost sheep, I love it. But then Jesus, in Matthew, adds a little bit of a kicker. So he carries on in verse 15, straight on, he says, If your brother or sister sins, go point out their fault just between the two of you. If they listen to you, you've won them over. But if they will not listen, take one or two others along, so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. If they refuse to listen, tell it to the church. And if they refuse to listen even to the church, treat them as you would a pagan or an unbeliever and a tax collector. And verse 21 says, Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times. Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but seventy times seven. Father, we just pray as we look at this parable that we'd understand your great shepherd's heart to come and find us, but we'd understand the responsibility of us as your followers to keep close to you. And if we wander off, to allow the community of the church to bring us back. So Lord, I pray that none of us would wander off. I pray this year, nobody listening here, nobody in this church community would be lost. That we'd have vibrant, energetic community that brings back everyone who wanders away. Amen. Uh, obviously this parable, you could see it as like cute, cuddly lambs. You know, uh, you know I, I, I think... It's actually was, I think it's unicorns now. I'm a bit behind the curve. It's unicorns, isn't it? Little kids dress up as unicorns. But they used to dress up as little lambs when I was like, when we had kids. And they'd kind of, has anyone seen these? Am, am I? You, you, and you think, oh, little lamb, lovely. It's cute, isn't it? Bah, lovely. Oh, it's so nice, isn't it? You know, we think, oh, they're so lovable. You know, you, you, you see that, you think, oh, I'd love to have a little lamb in my house and just little bottle feed it and just stroke it. Wouldn't it be lovely? Wouldn't it be lovely to have a lamb? And we think, yes, and obviously Jesus is the shepherd and he's going to come looking after the lovely lambs and we're all the lovely lambs that he's coming for. But I actually, I don't think Jesus is coming for us because we're particularly cuddly and lovable. Actually, we're not compared to sheep because we're lovable. We're compared to sheep because we are Stupid. We're stupid. I mean, if you think about sheep, they are pitifully weak. They can't care for themselves. If a sheep falls over, it can't get up. You know, it just lies on the floor, hoping to get up. It wanders away. They get stuck in places. They get their horns stuck in places. They get their feet stuck in places. Outside the sheepfold, they're easy prey. If we had wolves or foxes, you know, and they're just prone to wander. And if you put a sheep... It's not like a pigeon. You take a pigeon to Europe and you say, now find your way home and there it is. You take a sheep like down the road and they're gone. They're lost. They have no homing instinct. They're stupid. Uh, uh, so I want you to just get into the sheep mode today and I want you to say to the person next to you, listen to me, I'm stupid. Not I'm stupid. You, you say it to the person next to you, okay? I'm stupid. 
easily confused and prone to wander. Say that to the person next to you. I'm stupid, easily confused and prone to wander. <laughs> if you think that's a little unfair, and we'll talk about this when we do the, the series on culture shift, we think we're making decisions as autonomous individuals, but the truth is we're just nah, just following the flock. We, we, we feel that, you know, if you're in the sixth form, my sixth form is on holiday, but, if, you know, my, ex, my, my kids are out, whatever, but, you know, when they're in the sixth form, they think, I want to dress really differently. And then what happens is they go to a party and they're all dressing the same. You know, think their individualism has felt like I'm choosing, I'm choosing, I'm choosing, but the reality is they all end up the same. We're just disciples of the trend, the style, the crowd, and we're also incredibly short-sighted. Uh, sheep are very short-sighted, and we're incredibly short-sighted. We, we forget the eternal and stress about the now. All we can see is the thing in front of us. I need a new car. We forget about the eternal. And most foolishly of all, we easily, easily think that we can live outside the sheepfold, outside the church, the community of God's people, and be fine. And, what, and nothing's going to come and get us. Nothing's going to take us down, that we're not going to be found missing. That when we wander off, it's fine. That we can be a sheep outside the sheepfold for weeks, and we're going to be fine. It's not true. We're prone to wander. Isaiah 53, we preached it a, a few weeks ago. It says, we all like sheep have gone astray. Everyone has turned to their own way. If you do your own way, your own thing, you will be going astray. That is the default. Our way is not his ways. That's what the Bible says. But we've got, we need a shepherd and we've got a good shepherd. And you know this in the Bible. You think, I know all this. Psalm 23, let's read those two. The Lord, my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. We need a shepherd. We need that guy. We need Jesus, the shepherd, to lead us into good places. It's a lie that you can be who you want to be and just make the life you want. No, the truth is that is going to end you in a mess. You need to follow the good shepherd. And I love Isaiah 40. We won't read it, but I love Isaiah 40. It's an amazing passage about God's greatness. It says, who has, who has cast the stars into space? Who holds the water in the hollow of his hand? It's all about the massive greatness of God. And then there's this little verse in there. It says, the Lord tends his flock. That would be us. Like a shepherd, he gathers, I love this, he gathers the lambs in his arms and carries them close to his heart. That's the same verse that, that when it talks in, in John chapter 1, it says uh, uh, that, that about Jesus is close to my heart. It says actually the old language is in the bosom of the Father, he's close to the heart. And he says this about us, he, he gathers his lambs in his arms and carries them close to his heart, gently leads those who have young. I don't know what you thought God was like, but actually the, the, the fact that he's a loving, seeking shepherd is brilliant. He's the one who carries us, carries us close to his heart. He's the seeking and saving shepherd. He's the one who lays down, and we'll quote it a bit later on, the one who lays down his life for the sheep. And the reality is that we understand what it's like to search for lost people. I don't know, has, have any of you parents or any of you 
are not parents. Have you ever been lost or had a kid lost? Does anyone have one? I've got a great story, but I, I could, if you've got a moving, incredibly moving story, like my moving story that I've got, you, you, you can tell your story instead. Has anybody got a story of, of somebody lost that, that they then search for? No, obviously you think my story's more moving. Okay, so we used to live in London, and, and I don't know if you've ever been to Greenwich Park. It's like a massive, massive park. It was near us. We didn't live in Greenwich. We lived in a place called Catford. If you know the economics, you understand why. Uh, and uh, we, used to go to, uh, we used to go to Greenwich Park and with our kids. And we go to this play park right at the bottom, which is near the kind of Royal Naval College, and this play park. And then we're all in our play park, and Damaris and, 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 uh, and Zach are merrily playing away, uh, you know, like the good kind of children, quote, unquote, not, that they were. And then suddenly we just wait, we just wait, where is Jotham? Where's Jotham? So you know what you do? You start at the, the swing and you go, and then you go further out and then you're out at the, the slide and then you're out at the play park and then suddenly the whole of Greenwich Park, the whole of Greenwich Park is kind of there available for you. It's big as you can see. And you just, the, the, the panic that you have as you, as you go out and think, what's going to happen? What's going to happen? What's going to happen? And, you, and you're coming back and circling back, and our friends, Matt and Grace, they were searching, we're get, getting, and we're thinking, they've been taken. You imagine yourself on the, on the news as a crying parent, what's happened to my child, yeah? It is hugely stressful. And you're tired and you cannot stop. So it, there's a bank at, at halfway up, you can't see it from this picture, but halfway up by the observatory, there's a bank. So we were in the bottom left. Anyway, I found Jotham half, almost heading out towards the Royal Observatory. He'd been up the hill, he was wandering happily, totally oblivious. But when you find him, you grab him and like, yes! God's like that. God is like that. When you're missing, he's not taken by surprise, but he's suddenly, where are you? You know, we know that, where are you, right from the beginning. When Adam and Eve go missing and they hide from God, his very first time that God speaks apart from creation is, where are you? He's coming, he's coming for us. He wants to come and find us. He wants to come and find us. Now the thing is, how does that happen now? How does that happen in the church community? Because Jesus I know he's alive from the dead, and I know he's risen and has a body, but he doesn't come and find us in the same way. The people doing the finding are us. The people doing the wandering off are us. And, and Jesus makes that really clear in the second part of Matthew. It says, if your brother or sister, the word literally means a fellow disciple, so it's talking about the church here, it's not talking about lost people. If you read Luke's version, it's much more about people who, who've never known Jesus who have been brought in, but this is about people who've known Jesus, who know Jesus wandering off. If your brother or sister, a fellow disciple, sins, ah, it's that word again, goes and point, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. If they, if, you, if they listen to you, you've won them over. But if they will not listen, take one or two others along, so every matter will be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. If they refuse to listen, tell it to the church. And if they refuse to listen, eat with the church, teach them as, treat them as an unbeliever. It's really interesting, isn't it, that, that, that what we, we love the context of that lost sheep story 
But when Jesus drops it in the church, it, it can suddenly feel like, whoa, this is fairly heavy. This is fairly heavy. You know, that, that if somebody's gone astray, Jesus is saying the responsibility to go and find them is, out, is ours. It's our responsibility. As a church community, big or small, it's our responsibility. If we see the dashboard warning light on a, somebody who's in this community, if we see that, we cannot, Jesus doesn't simply say, ignore it, hoping it's going to fix itself. He provides a way that nobody goes missing. And that responsibility is on each of us. It's on each of us. It's interesting, we do see ourselves as, as individuals. And, and again, I'll, I'll talk about this much more in Culture Shift, but, but we do ourselves as, see ourselves as individuals, and our society tells us that we're isolated individuals and that what we do is really our business. And, and, and no one can tell us what to do. It's, it's all our business. But, but the, the way Jesus and, and then the New Testament describes our behavior is it's not isolated. It has impact. And again, if, you, if you're in a family... You know that. You know that any, if you're in a family, you know that one person's behavior in the family impacts the whole family. It's not like the, the person doesn't, makes a decision, or the kid or the parent makes a decision to do something and it has no impact in the family. We tend not to project that into the church, but Jesus uses the term brothers and sisters. In other words, he says, I want you to project, project that into the church. That, where, that what you do and what I do has an impact on each other. It's not simply that we're autonomous individuals. If, if you'd know this about me, if I'm spiritually in a mess, you'd think, well, that's going to affect the health of the church. And you know that. Tragically, when you see church leaders crash and burn, we throw our hands up in horror and say, that has got to trash the church. But the truth is, when you're in a mess, that affects the church as well. And so when we go astray, when we wander off, when we take a different path to the one that Jesus sets out, the responsibility to go get them is who? It says, go and show, if your brother or sister sins, Go and show them their fault just between the two of you. Does that feel heavy? Go and show... I mean, Jesus, don't put this in. Don't you understand our culture? Don't you understand how incredibly hard it is to tell people, I think you're making a mistake. When we're in our cars... This is not the story of my write-off in my car, and I'm not this person, by the way. But when, your car, when you're in your car, you make a mistake... People, will, they'll do all sorts of gestures, won't they? Like, man, I'm happy to tell you you've cut me up. Whoa, you know, various fingers are in use. You know, you can hear the blue language filling the car. You know, even if you're in the car, you, you, your, your backseat driver might be telling you, you stupid person. We're quite happy to do that with cars. We're happy to do that with recycling. Oh, God, first, you've got plastic cups. The horror. Plastic. What are you using? A plastic straw. You went to McDonald's and you've got a plastic straw. Don't, you think, man, I'm having a go. No, I'm just saying we get really animated about certain things, don't we? Uh, if I made a, a comment about a person's choice of, of, of sexual partner, a person's choice about money, whoa, 
wait, wait, just, I'd lose my job. And we feel like we're not allowed to say, but the society, and again, culture shift, I'm bursting with it, that that will be something we feel we can comment on that. But when you flip it over and say, when someone sins, show them their fault, that feels like, whoa, this is a heavy, you know, I know, I knew this about this guy. He's a heavy, controlling person. He just wants everyone to do what he says. He's going he's to come round. You join this church, he's going to be coming round. He's going to start with A on church suite and work through. Adam Stanton, you're come with the, and we're going to come for you, A, and we're going to tell you your faults, and then B, uh, Ben, where's, oh, he's on kids' work. We'll get him. C, yes, Caleb. Caleb, that little kid, Caleb, we're going to tell him his fault. You, and you think, that's what we're going to be doing. Because we're so nervous of saying to somebody, you made a mistake. You can't say it about their family, their marriage, their money, their priorities, their parenting style. You can't. But Jesus is saying, if that attitude or behavior is sinful, you should. Scary, but you should. Because if you've got a little kid and they're about to throw themselves on the railway line, you're just not going to say, well, you're an autonomous individual. I think you need to make your own choice here. You're going to grab them and go, oh, sorry, you're not supposed to do that. You're going to grab them and say, no, no, no. <laughs> and that's the family's the same. This family is the same. If I'm away and astray, your job is to come and tell me. But, you know, it's dangerous ground, isn't it? Because people can say, who do you think you are? Who are you to tell me? And if you speak, you put the relationship at risk. But Jesus says, if a sheep is dangerously going astray, speak, we must. Proverbs 27, 6, you might know this. It's a tea towel kind of verse. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. What does that mean? It means if the friend tells you the truth, faithfully, that hurts you. But it means it's, they're doing it as a good thing. You know, I talk about this often now because of what happened. The cancer surgeon who cuts you is doing a good thing. Well, I don't know if you're still reading 5 by 5 or what, take a little survey, we're reading through the Bible, the New Testament as a church, some of us are still hanging in there. In fact, somebody responded to the survey we did and said, is anybody still doing five by five? Well, me and Christopher are still doing five by five, aren't we? Because we're the holy ones. I, I won't ask you to put... Uh, uh, do you want to... Actually, let's, let's have a moment of pharisaical uh, pride. If you're still doing the five by five, put up your hand. Very good. This is pretty good, eh? I'm pressed. Great. So points to you. You are now allowed to go and rebuke everybody else who did put their hand up. No, that's not what I'm saying. 2 Corinthians 7, 8, and 9 was the reading last week. Paul Hunt's not here, but I te- uh, Andy Wilson is, so I text that to, to my group, and I, I'm also in one with... Um, so I text this to my group. This is what Paul writes. He says, if I cause you sorrow by my letter, we'll talk about why it's a letter in a minute, I do not regret it, though I did regret it. I see that my letter hurt you, but only for a little while. Yet now I'm happy, not because, I, because you were made sorrier, but because your sorrow led to repentance. For you became sorrowful as God intended. 
so you're not harmed in any way by us. You can see Paul's dilemma. He's like, the church in Corinth is up to no good, and he, he feels like, I want to tell them, but I don't want to hurt them. But if I don't hurt them, they're going to be hurt. Do you understand the dilemma here? This is what I, this is what I text. This is my, uh, a screenshot from my profound wisdom. I can't remember what I wrote, actually. It says, it seems that Paul has decided to challenge the Corinthians about a holiness issue. He feels the dilemma of hurting their feelings. But after initial reluctance, spelt wrong, yeah, uh, and, and then regret that he risks their relationship with his honesty, he's glad that he risked challenging them because they repented. This is a brilliant example of discipleship in action. Let's feel Paul's reluctant not to hurt others. Say, say amen to that. Yeah? But let's not mean that we don't ever challenge anyone. Yeah? So it's not like this is... 21st century, this is 1st century. It's difficult. Now, how do you do that? Paul writes a letter. Our survey said, uh-uh. Why does Paul write a letter? Because it would have taken him two or three weeks to get to people in Corinth to speak to them. We are not in that context. So you are not allowed to t- tweet, text, email. You're not allowed to do that. That's not the context we're talking about. What you need to do is go, if you see somebody whose life is off, dangerously falling off the rails, if there's a pattern of sin that might destroy them, or if, there's a, a, if they've hurt you by their behavior, your job is to face-to-face, away from the crowd and the heat of the moment. I'll say that again. Face-to-face, away from the crowd and the heat of the moment, lovingly, Call the person out. Feels heavy, but it's what families do. Dietrich Bonhoeffer always makes the person sound incredibly profound if you quote him. This is what he said. If you ever want to read a book on community, he he wrote a book called Life Together. Just packed. Genius. He says this. We must accept that gentle reprimand is unavoidable. We we, We know that in work, don't we? We allow our boss to tell us off. This is actually not about the bosses in church telling you off. This is about the community keeping each other healthy. So we need to understand. But we must accept that the gentle reprimand is unavoidable. God's word demands, demands it when a disciple falls into sin. This practice in the congregation begins in the smallest circles. In other words, go and speak to the person one-to-one. Where deflection from God's word in doctrine or life imperils the family fellowship and with it the whole congregation, we're not individuals, the word of, it's old language, the word of admonition and rebuke must be ventured. This is really profound. Nothing can be more cruel than the tenderness that consigns another to their sin. Nothing can be more compassionate than the firm reprimand that calls a fellow disciple back from the path of sin. It is a ministry of mercy, an ultimate offer of genuine fellowship to do so. Are you convinced we need to do this? Okay, you might not be if people come to you, but generally we are, in theory, convinced about this. This is not a menu for the worst kind of excesses in church. Because the worst kind of excesses in church mean that we end up with this self-righteous, pharisaical, finger-pointing, where people come and speak to you. You know your problem, you know your problem, you know your problem. Has anyone ever experienced that? It just feels like, man, you've just been locked and loaded and somebody shot you down in church. 
One person's nodding, the rest of you are liars. It happens, doesn't it? It's interesting, when I put my post up, Paul Hunt gets points, but he loses them because he's not here, gets points by saying this. He says, make sure that we take the logs out of our own eye before we take the specks out of others. Do you know, you know that thing where Jesus says, you've got this huge big plank in your eye, you know, and you've got to take, take it out of your eye so you can work on the speck in others. You know, let's work from plank to, to, to speck, not speck and leave a big plank in, in the eye. I love that, isn't it? Sorry, I, I tried to find a cool picture, but it's really difficult to find one. Dude, I've got something in my eye. Hey, don't worry, I hope you get it out. I can see your sin. Matthew 7 says, For the same way you judge others, you'll be judged. And with the measure you use, will be measured to you. So if you speak to your friend or you're somebody in church with real grace you're going to get grace back. If you're a finger-pointing, pharisaical texter, don't expect anything less. Why do you, Jesus says, why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? Howard Kellett. Okay. So, we, so that's the context. But the reality is only the accountable can hold people accountable. Let me say that again. Only the accountable can hold others accountable. So you might be the Pope in Rome, or the Archbishop of Canterbury, or the the Bishop of Gloucester, and if you're not accountable to somebody to speak into your life, you've got no, no permission to speak into anyone else's. That's so important to understand. Only the accountable can hold others accountable. Bonhoeffer puts it much better than that but a little bit more complex. The more we learn to allow others to speak the word to us, accepting humbly and grateful even the most severe observations and reproaches, the more we'll understand this grace. The more gracious we ourselves will be in speaking truth in love. The one who, because of his own sensitivity and vanity, rejects the serious words of another Christian cannot speak the truth in humility to others. So if somebody's slipping away, you got to, the first question you've got to ask yourself is, am I, am I open to be spoken to? Can somebody come to me and say, I just observed this? The, the, the way that, that I, I'm probably away from my notes here, PowerPoint person, but uh, the way I, I see it is that the way you say it is, is, I might be wrong. I just observed. I might not have the full story, but... So you don't lock and load with five verses, clamp on, boom, 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 you know? It's, I, I, I might be wrong. I just observe, I might not have the full picture, but. So if, we, if somebody comes up to me in the coffee break and say, I just observe, I might be wrong, I know the game we're in. Yeah? That's what, it's happening, it's basically saying, you want to confront somebody so that they listen to you. And Jesus uses a brilliant phrase, you've won them over. In the context of the lost shepherd is, you've gone, they wandered off, you've gone, and got them one-to-one, and you've brought them home, like Jesus, rejoicing. How you respond when somebody points out a fault often says more about your heart than most sins Christians commit. Do you know that? So we all commit sins. I know it says, if you sin... So you don't have to. It's no inevitably about sin, but that's another sermon. But, but if you sin, uh, 
when somebody, if somebody challenges you about it, how they respond to you when you challenge says much, much more about their heart than any kind of sin, that I, most sins that I know. I'm not saying it's worse than murder, but I know there's some people that if you speak to them or you challenge them are going to say, oh, I didn't realize. Well, I knew I was doing that and I've really struggled with that. Would you help me? Thanks for challenging me. I feel really, I'm so, I feel sorry. Please pray with me. Thanks for speaking to me. If somebody responds to you like that, you know there's a t- tenderness in their heart, right? But if they, if they kind of lock, if they reply, reply like, man, and they, who are you to speak to me? You know, they're big, they do the full Gandalf. You know, who are you to speak to me? You, you know that there's a bigger issue at heart. And the, and, and the thing is, and I was talking to a friend of mine uh, in this church and say, you know, we, we, we don't want to do it, even with people we know of good hearts. We don't want to say, you know, I've just observed. We're really scared of doing that. It's so countercultural for us. Because we're worried that we'll burn the friendship bridge. You know, the interesting thing, I, I, I could expose you, I could play a little trick question, but I won't. I was going to ask you, who's recently been challenged about an issue of lifestyle in, uh, in the church? And you, none of you put your hand up, and then I could have said, ah, oh, that's because you might be the person that's likely to blow up in their faces. But that would have been unfair, wouldn't it? But basically what I'm saying, if, if, you're not, if you've not been challenged by someone close to you, it might be your husband or wife, but it might be somebody in your three, it might be somebody in your group, it might be someone... If you've not been challenged at all recently, it might be that you're perfect. Let's assume that that is a possibility. But it might be also that you're one of these people who think, man, I'm not going to speak to him. Because flip, it's going to burn all the relationships up. The fact that no one has spoken to you does not mean that you're fine. What it means is we've got to grow in gentle challenge to make this culture strong, this church culture strong. Uh, I, I, I'm going to embarrass Adam Stanton. I taught this um, on the, uh, we teach this on our Vision and Values course, and uh, we, we basically call it Matthew 18. And, and I say, to, to, look, if, if I hurt you or offend you, then you need to, you can have a Matthew 18. You just ring up and say, I'd like to have a Matthew 18 with you. Most time, people don't do that. They say, I'd like to have a coffee with you. And you think, hmm, what's this? But Adam, by, by the grace of God, just rang me up and said, I'd like to have a Matthew 18 with you. I was like, ooh, I've obviously sinned or hurt him. So I cancel all my stuff. I didn't have much on, to be honest. No, but I canceled my stuff. I said, right, let's, let's chat. Adam said, you know what you like on Sundays? And I've apologized to the whole church. You, you come in, you've got your game face on, you're chewing that person up because the there's a slight coffee cup in the wrong place. You know, you do, and he said, you've done that to me too many times and, and I'm really hurt by this and you, your attitude needs to be sorted out. Now I said to him, how dare you speak to me? I'm the leader of this church. You cheeky so-and-so. Do you not know how hard I've worked and how much God's anointing us on me? Get yourself gone. You're laughing because thankfully you know that, that wouldn't, I wouldn't do that. I went, oh, Adam, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. And he said, he said, but you've done it a few times. So I said, so we developed like a code word. I can't remember what it was because it's what I, have I done it for a while? I, no, you just, I just ignore you. I just ignore you now. I just ignore you. We developed this code word which meant, you're doing it again. <laughs> so, oh, 
But you've got to be, people have got to be allowed to come. And you've got to be allowed to be able to come to me and say, you know, you chewed me up. That was hurtful. That was difficult. You're in sin. I saw the way you drove down there at 47, got three points yesterday. Lord, forgive me. You know, you, you can come and challenge me about stuff, but it means that I can come and challenge you. Yes? Say yes, we agree. I need to run. Time's going. And I had a complaint that my sermons were too long. How dare they? How dare they come to me? There was no Bible verse about that. It's just their preference, not mine. Anyway, so, yeah, let's move on. So the first thing is you go one-to-one, one-to-one. You don't ring the office and say, you know what, Christopher, that Christopher, he's getting me on the rotor. I need to speak to you. Howard, can I have coffee with you? That Christopher. No. Who do you go to? Christopher. I know you're a former large queue later on. But, you know, (laughs) you go and speak to him one-to-one. And you don't say, that Christopher, you know what he's like. Da, 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 da. He's South African. He hasn't got any of the English t- tact and challenge. You're straight in there. <laughs> Let's tell the whole church. You don't do that. It says one to one, go and speak to him. And if he listens, listen doesn't mean I'm listening. Okay, I'm listening. All right, I'm listening. Right, thank you. Thank you for your comment. I'm listening. Listening means, oh, sorry. I didn't realize it came across like that. Yeah, that was clumsy. Most leaders I know and love are going to say sorry to you. Most people in the church that I know and love are going to say, I didn't realize. I'm sorry. If they listen, you've won them over. Time's running. They need to go. But if they will not listen to you, then take two or three others along and every matter will be established by the testimony of two witnesses. Now we think, right, now, they've, I've, I've, I've told nicely, now we're really going to go. So you get the militia. You get all your friends that, you know, that you think, right, I know that. Let's choose someone. No, let's better not. I know that person. Da, da, da. And you get all your friends. Come, come, come. Let's all go and see them. Right, we're coming to see you. No, that's not what it means. It, Jesus is saying, actually, we don't want to let it lie. What we would do is if we spoke to somebody and they didn't like it or they felt uncomfortable, or they felt, hang on a minute, we'd say, I'm not going to speak to them anymore. But Jesus is saying, no, get someone else and go and speak to them. Get someone else. It might be somebody from their three, their own accountability group. You say, would you come with me? I need to speak to this person. It may be that, that it's a major thing and you might want to speak to somebody from the pastoral team. Tom Hunting leads the pastoral team. You might want to do that, but actually Jesus is saying that's another step. The bottom line is you go to of you and say, look, this is, this is a relationship breakdown or this is some attitude or this is something going on. Can we talk about it? You don't phone up the church office. You don't text all your friends. You go and speak to them. Because what we're trying to do is bring back lost sheep. The interesting thing is the more you say around the church about someone if they hurt you or someone who's in sin, the harder it is for them to repent. If less is said, and that's why Jesus said just the two, and then there's four of you, less is said, repentance is easier. So we work this principle, and I've said to many of you, we work on the sphere of influence equals the sphere of infection equals the sphere of information. Let me put it in English. Those people that you've got relationship contact with, those that you influence, when you sin, they're the ones who are first affected. You know that in a family? Your family is the sphere of, 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 of influence, so the family is the sphere of infection. But it works in church, and they're the ones that get told. They're the sphere of information. 
Nobody else. The more you have influence in the church, the more people get told. So if you're an elder in the church, Steve Moak's away for this one, so, um, but most of us are here. He says, Timothy, Paul says about Timothy, do not entertain an accusation against an elder unless it's brought by, one, by two, three witnesses. So it's the same process. But for elders who are sinning, you, you are to, read it, reprove before everyone. Because that's a sphere of influence, that's a sphere of information. So that others may take warning. I don't know any Christians that if you talk to them and they might bounce it back and you go and speak to them again nicely and full of grace, that, that most Christians say, uh, yeah, I'm sorry. But we're talking about, and I, I hardly had this, I think in, in 20 years of ministry I've had it like a person, no, I'm not, I'm, I'm not listening to you. Jesus says, if they refuse to listen to you, tell the church. Telling the church doesn't mean we get everybody up front and say, right, welcome to Let's Eat Together and tonight on the menu we'll start with Mark Clements, okay? <laughs> you know, no, it isn't that. It, tell, tell the church is, is a much more low-key thing. It means that you just that sense of sphere of influence. But if somebody says, I'm not interested, then literally what you're supposed to do is excommunicate them. That sounds very Catholic and scary, doesn't it? But what it means is they've lost the right to be in community. Literally what it means. It means excommunicate. The church community should be a vibrant and healthy church community that actually, if you say you can't be here anymore because of your persistent sin, that should be a punishment rather than, well, I never liked them anyway. There wasn't much community in this church anyway, so I was fine. In the first century, that was really difficult to put somebody outside community because there's no other churches. Sad thing now is, you, you speak to somebody about, about a pattern of sin and they just say, well, you're not a very caring church, I don't like the way you've handled it. And they go to a church down the road, don't they? But that is not the way it should be. Let me finish this because I've gone on too long, I'm sorry. Jesus is really committed that none of us wander off. He's really keen about that. And he's so keen about it that Peter's like, whoa, hang on a minute. This is like a big, big deal you're saying here. Because it sounds like we go and lock and load on a person and they're through stage one and stage three and stage three and they're out of the church before the weekend. That's not what, what's saying because Peter says, so are we going to keep forgiving these people? Then Peter came to Jesus and asked him, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times. That would be doing good, wouldn't it? Think of anybody who's hurt you. Are you up to seven yet? Okay, if you're married, you might be. But Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 70 times seven. So what we do is we think, right, I've got 490 goes at being horrible to everyone. And then I'm out of the church. Yeah? No, that's not what we're saying either. What we're saying is the church, the family question is, how do we keep loving people? How do we keep bringing people? The church is always, 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 first and foremost, a forgiving community. Let's say that. The church is always, 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 first and foremost, a forgiving community. Jesus is interested in bringing the sheep back, not saying that's another one we've chucked out of the fold. In a community of grace, if you mess up, grace flows. If you mess up, grace flows. Forgiveness flows. Forgiveness flows. The the, the church come and get you again and again and again and say, come on. Until the point where you have 
you've said, I, I don't want anything to do with this. It costs us to do this decision, doesn't it? It costs us to have these conversations, but it costs Jesus, and I need to move into breaking bread, but it costs Jesus. John says this, uh, uh, John records Jesus' words. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father, that is intimate knowledge. I lay down my life for the sheep. My sheep, say it, listen to my voice. It doesn't sound like Jesus speaking in your dream. It's Andy Wilson coming and saying, I want to speak to you because you've hurt me. Sorry, Andy, I don't know why I picked you out of the sky. You know, it's, it, it's somebody coming and saying, it's Jesus' voice, it's you. My sheep know, listen to me, they know my voice and I, they'll follow me. I give them eternal life and they shall never perish and no one is going to snatch them out of hand. We're so tightly held in Jesus' hand that nothing can snatch us away. It costs Jesus everything to rescue us. You know, it's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Jesus becomes a sheep. He becomes a sheep to get you. He says his body was broken on the cross. It cost him that. He laid down his life. His, his blood was, was shed on the cross. He, he poured out his very lifeblood. It cost him to bring you home. And it's going to cost us to bring each other home. Jesus' body was broken. His blood was shed to bring wandering sheep safe to his sheepfold. Jesus knows intimately those sheep he's rescued. And he's entrusted to the church to be his voice, to call the stupid, easily confused, defenceless, weak, aimless, prone to wander sheep like me and you home to be his arms to forgive those and carry those close to his heart. For more information, visit our website at godfirst.org.uk.